Well, listen, we, we're in a sermon series going through the book of Acts together, and uh, we're in Acts chapter 3. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get started. If you got your version app, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, we've been, you know, essentially we've gone through Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. Jesus has ascended into heaven, 120 people gathered in an upper room waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. A sound of a mighty rushing wind happens. Bic lighters on their head. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They preach in other languages. And people are saying, I can't even believe I'm hearing the wonders of God in my own language. A crowd forms. Peter preaches the most amazing sermon, drops the mic. He calls people to repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved, baptized, added to the church. Awesome Sunday. One day. So what does Monday look like? I mean, they got, they got problems now that they never had before. 120 people, that's hard enough to keep people all kind of like tracking, but now they've got 3,120 people in their church in one day. Uh, and so they're now trying to figure out how to do church, and we've been trying to figure out how to do church for a very long time. And so uh, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, sounds a lot like kind of what we do in church even today. We listen to sermons. We, you know, we worship. We, we have church potlucks. Uh, we celebrate communion, and uh, we pray together. And so they're probably trying to invent the very first tambourine and, uh, and create a, a kick and worship band in the meantime. And Pastor Tom preached a couple months ago on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the last part. And so I'm going to skip into Acts chapter 3. If you want to listen to that sermon, it was back in January called The Gift, part 2. And uh, you, can, you can get a hold of that. So we're going to move into Acts chapter 3, which is essentially the very first healing, the very first miracle after Pentecost, recorded at least. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. If you wouldn't mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, I, I'd really appreciate that. Um, we're going to start off in verse 1. It says this. I love this story. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who had been used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, and God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work that you do in and through us that lives on in the church. Even today, God, I, I pray that we would learn how to do church a little bit wiser, a little bit better, I guess you could say, um, through your word today as we strip back all of the churchianity and get back to the birthplace of the original church. God, I, I just pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. Thanks. So, all right, we, uh, we have this, this lame man, a beggar who literally begged, the Bible says, every day in the same place. He was kind of like a fixture at the temple gate. Everyone knew about him. People passed by him all the time. The fact is that Jesus probably passed by him many times. Everyone knew who this guy was. And so the first thing that we notice as we read through this scripture is that they noticed him. They noticed a man that, that everyone saw but never noticed right? They had walked by him probably hundreds of times as they're on their way to go into the temple at the time of prayer. Verse 3, this is, this is why it's different. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, as he probably did every time they walked by. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now, I know, I mean, they had seen him before, just like you saw everyone that you walked by as you came into church this morning in the concourse. But this was different. Like they saw him, they looked directly at him. And I think the thing I want you to understand in, in, in your notes here today is this, like when you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you pay attention to what the Spirit is highlighting to you. When, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, God will bring your attention to things that you never would have noticed on your own. All of a sudden, you know, um, you'll, you'll start to begin to notice things that you've walked by many, many, many times. And if you've, maybe you're kind of, this is your first time here, maybe you've been in the Lord for a very long period of time, you'll understand this and you'll know this to be true, that God will sometimes highlight things, situations, people that, that you wouldn't have noticed on your own, but God's saying like, I want you to pay attention to this thing. Pastor Jeff, 10 years ago, when I first came in, he was like, he talked to me about this thing and John Osteen wrote a book about it and it's called uh, Divine Flow Relationships. It's this, this thing that, that if you've been in the Lord for a while, all of a sudden you, you kind of can be in a crowd of people and God will highlight one person. And you're like, I, I don't know why I feel drawn. I don't even know this person. First time I've seen them, I just feel drawn in relationship to this person and I have no idea why. And it's happened to me numerous times. And here's what I would say, when that does happen, not if it happens, when that does happen to you, ask this question, Lord, what is it that you're doing? What is it that's happening right now? What is it, what is it that you are about? Am I supposed to 
befriend them? Am I supposed to ask them a question? Am I supposed to go talk to them? Am I supposed to pray for them? Uh, what, what is it that I'm supposed to, what is it that you're doing right now? I wish the church would ask that question more. As we go about our days and we're doing a whole bunch of our, our busy things, what is it that you're doing right now? Because I think about this, what if, what if Peter and John just didn't pay attention to what the Holy Spirit was noticing? What if they just were like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. He always begs. He's there every time. Well, this is probably what it would have said in Acts chapter 3. Even if it made it into Acts chapter 3, it would have just said, Peter and John went to church at 3 p.m., then they went to Market Basket, and then they went home. It's like a normal Sunday, right? I went to church, the Market Basket, and I went home. That's probably what it would have just said if they just decided they were going to just go about their day, not notice the things that the Spirit is highlighting. But see, here's the reality. I think that God is actually calling us to divine appointments all the time. All the time. And, and I'll, I'll speak for myself. I know that I am missing out on miracles because I'm, I'm otherwise preoccupied. How many times, and, and, and it's kind of funny because these things used to be in our pocket, pockets, but I very rarely see them in pockets anymore. They're normally in our hands, almost like it's an appendage, right? How many times are we in a group of people, but we're not really there because we're so busy checking things that really don't matter? Just pull down, refresh, pull down, refresh, pull down, because I'm so busy. I am how many times do we miss things because we're so busy texting? How many times are, are, we, are we missing divine appointments and moments because we're checking social media? In the midst of our busyness, we can miss the things that God... When was the last time you just looked, like, like Peter says, he looked directly at him. When was the last time you just looked at somebody? Like, not like, yeah, 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 I'm listening. I know, I know, I know. But you just paused and stopped. Maybe for your kids, you just looked at them. Like looked into their eyes and asked the question, God, what are you doing right now? There's something different about what happens here with Peter and John. They see this man and they see him. Not as a beggar, not as a lame guy, not as a fixture here at the temple gate, but they see him as a person. And what I love about this in Acts chapter 3 is that this extraordinary day came about in a very ordinary way. Very ordinary way. Read it in Acts chapter, or Acts chapter 3 verse 1. It just says this. One day, not, not, not like, not a special day. It wasn't a feast day. It was just a day. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. It was the normal time. It was the usual time. It was the time where everybody went to church. It was the time that everybody went to temple. Listen, don't let anybody convince you otherwise. The spirit-filled life is just a normal life infused with the power from on high. You don't have to be, <laughs> you don't have to be a, a superhero to live the spirit-filled life. I think sometimes we, we read about Peter and John. We, maybe you read about people like Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake. And you're like, man, it must be nice. It's nice to have magic hands. It must be nice to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It must be nice to have eloquent speech and be able to preach. It must be nice to be able to be them. But here's the reality. The spirit-filled life is just a bunch of normal people that realize that they can't do anything in and of themselves apart from Jesus Christ. And so they just walk in obedience like, huh, there's a beggar that I've never noticed before. I feel like God wants me to talk to them and then speak to them and pray for them and see what God has for them. 
You don't have to be a superhero to be able to live and to walk according to the Spirit. Because here's the reality, and this is the thing that I've realized more and more as I've lived, is that God likes to show up in the mundane. He likes to show up in the normal, laundry, taking kids back and forth, walking, working, parenting, driving here and there, bleachers, sitting life. He likes to show up in that. Because what we find is that when we are being led by the Holy Spirit, we find God's business even in our busyness. We find him. We find that God is up to things even though we are so busy doing, well, busyness. What I love about this miracle is that it, catch this, it happened on the way to church. It didn't happen at church. I love that about this miracle because apparently the church is so young. It's only Acts chapter three. Nobody told Peter and John that you had to wait to pray for people at church. They, they had no clue. They didn't know that they had to be like, well, if this guy really wants to get healed, he should probably come inside and come to church. If you're willing to come to church, uh, my pastor will pray for you. You just come in here. Maybe then, maybe then God will do something. Uh, this guy would just get off and, and kind of roll, get in there. Maybe if he'd just go to church, then, then maybe something would happen. Listen, they didn't even make it to church and God starts doing stuff. And apparently the Holy Spirit didn't even know that he had to wait at church too. The Holy Spirit's just like, yeah, I'm just going to pray for this guy at a gate. Like, take a look at this. It didn't happen where everything else happens. It didn't happen in the Holy of Holies. It didn't happen in the temple courts. It happened outside in the parking lot. They didn't know better, like you and I, right? They had no idea. Listen, when we relegate God working to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, we miss the point. We miss it. In fact, I would argue that God is actually more concerned with what we're doing with the other 166 and a half hours in our week outside of these four walls. Those are the things that, that God loves and wants to do his work. And the, the cool thing is, is, as much as this is a pivotal shift for them, it's a pivotal shift for us. Why? Because they're just like us. They were used to seeing God do holy things with holy people in holy places. Oh, you got to get a whole bunch of holy people to do holy things, and then God will show up and do holy stuff. And so as long as we're with holy people, then holy things will happen in a holy place, and then he'll show up. Here's the, here's the reality. I don't know if you knew this. God doesn't live here. Did you know that? Like, like he, when you go out of here after church, and I say amen, the band plays, and then you go... God doesn't sit in here and go like, man, can't wait for next week. This is going to be awesome, right? It's counting down. Just wait for them to show up. Like six more days. I ain't just hanging out in here. Must be nice to work at the church. You get to go in and visit with God in the building, right? No, he is portable. He lives in you. And so when you go, you take him with you. That's the thing that, that I think God is most prevalent here is that the Holy Spirit is teaching them and teaching us, hey, I'm portable. That was the whole big lighter thing, remember? And you're like, do I have it too? Yeah, you got it too. In other words, you take me with you. Wherever you go, there I am. If you're here, that's awesome. And the more of you here, God shows up in a greater degree, but the reality is he goes with you when you leave. And he wants to work in you and through you on your way to church, on your way leaving church, in the 
everyday mundane routine, hanging out, working days of life. And, and I, was, I was praying about this, and I, and I think this is kind of a prophetic word for even just our, our country, is that the move of God was always meant to be a kingdom move, not a church move. What do I mean by that? I, I mean this. As long as we are waiting for the next move of God to be a revival service in a church building, we're going to be waiting a very long time. In fact, at the beginning of this whole thing and all throughout history, we see God's people getting catalyzed to go and to be the sent out ones, to go and do the work of Christ. It is no coincidence that the first two huge sermons we see in Acts 2 didn't happen at church. You know how it happened? A couple of yahoos like you decided, I don't know, I'm just going to go pray for this person. I feel like God wants me to do something. And, so we go, and then a crowd gathers, and Peter's like, I guess, I guess I'll pick up a mic and explain. That, the first two sermons happen outside of a church building, outside of the walls of a church. Why? Because God's people are just doing what God's people do, just responding to needs and seeing hurting, broken people and, and asking God, what am I supposed to go do about this? And then they do it and realize, I, I, I couldn't do that. It was only through the power of Jesus. Right. You may be like, Pastor Justin, I mean, you're kind of like downing church. <laughs> I mean, come on, we, we, we like church. Listen, if anybody likes church, I like church, right? It's kind of my deal. So you're like, why would you tell us not to go to church? I'm not telling you not to go to church. So please hear me. I am not cheapening the gathering of God's people. I am placing value on the fact that you are the sent out ones. And as long as we're looking for a revival to happen within the four walls of a building, we're very, well, I'm, we're going to be waiting for a very long time. Because God is waiting to not just catalyze a service. He's waiting to actually catalyze God's people to go serve others outside of the four walls of a church. But please hear me. I am not, I'm not lessening the gathering of God's people. I love the gathering of God's people. In fact, the cool part about this is that they're on their way to church. They were not forsaking the gathering of God's people. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the gathering of God's people. This miracle happened and it only could have happened because they were on their way to church. He was literally at the gate of beautiful on their way to church. And because they were walking in a healthy habit, it created a holy moment. It's this reality that healthy habits create holy moments. There's nothing wrong with the gathering of God's people that we're supposed to come together to worship, to grow, to hear the word of God, and to overflow to others. And sometimes you come to church and you sing some songs, listen to a message, sit, stand, sit, sit, stand, sit, go to Market Basket, and then go home. And then sometimes you come to church and God challenges you and he changes you and he, the fire refines you and, and, and you leave this place changed and the holy moment never would have happened without a healthy habit. So here's what I would say. Don't quit a healthy habit just because you aren't feeling like it's working. I, I hear this from so, so often from people. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I've been going to church for two weeks. It's not working. It hasn't changed my wife. She's still the same. Gosh, right? 
I, I just, it's not working for me. I'm not doing this thing. Here's the thing. When we begin to place in healthy habits into our life, we create opportunities for God to do holy moments in our life. So don't quit it just because you don't feel like it's working. Because you don't see that it's working. God is working in you and through you to build you up to be able to go and do the things that he's called you to do. Verse 3, he says this. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked it straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. Because just as much as they weren't looking at him ever, he was never really looking at them. And so the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. This, <laughs> I always put myself in, in, the, in the situation. What would this have been like for this guy? All this guy was wanting was some spare change. That's all he wanted. That's, can we agree on that? That's all, that's all he was really asking for, alms for the poor. Like, like many people like you see asking, begging for money out here on, right at the, at the red light. They're just, they're not looking for anything other than a, than, than a handout. I, I'd, I'd like some money. That's not right, wrong, or otherwise. They're just, that's all he's asking for. But here's the reality. What we find is when we are being led by the Holy Spirit, you find that the change that is needed is not always the change that you asked for. Sometimes God gives you what you need, and then sometimes God gives you what you ask for, but those, don't, those two things aren't necessarily the same. Think about this lame guy. Think of this lame beggar, right? What he actually needs, he doesn't even notice anymore. This guy's been lame. He hasn't been able to walk since birth. So he's not sitting there asking, would somebody please pray over me so that I can, I can, I can walk? He's not thinking, maybe today's the day. Today's the day. I'm going to be walking. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. No, he's just like, a, can I have some spare change? Do, 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 you have any, do you have any spare change? And think about it. What if Peter and John just threw a few coins in the hat and then just, then just kept going? He would have gotten the change that he wanted. He would have gotten spare change. But what we find is when, when we're led by the power of the Holy Spirit, we realize that God doesn't want to just give us spare change. He wants to give us real change. <laughs> he, he wants to actually pour in change that lasts. He doesn't want to just give us something that we're going to spend and is going to be gone. He gives us what we really need. And we read this, this, this story about this beggar, and he's, I mean, he's so focused on what he thinks is truly his need, but he doesn't realize what he really needs is healing. And we look at this story, and we say, like, man, I just, man, come on, lame guy. Why are you? I mean, it's this nice, tidy, wrapped-up little thing. You got Peter and, Peter and John. These are newly, you know, Newly, you know, these guys are, are, are newly just filled with the Holy Spirit. They're walking in miracle signs and wonders. Why would you not ask them to pray for you so that you can be healed? You're just asking for spare change? You kidding me right now? Come on, lame dude. And you think, like, how often do we do this very same thing when we're asking and praying to Jesus? Sometimes we're like, for the very, look at, even with money. God, I pray that you just give me more money. I, if I just had a little bit more, then it would be enough. And I think that many times God's like, well, actually, I'm wanting you to get into right relationship with the money that you already do have. No, but I was kind of thinking another little bit would help. 
And he's like, I'm not saying it wouldn't help. I'm just saying I want you to get in right relationship with that which you already do have. Or we find ourselves like, God, would you just fix that relationship? You know, I don't actually mean that. Could you just fix her? Because if you could just fix her, then everything would be all good. And God's like, well, actually, I was wanting to work forgiveness into you. <laughs> Jesus, you're not getting it. Okay, okay. But God, I, I, if you could, God, if you could just give me that spouse that I have been waiting for patiently, Jesus, very patiently. And God's like, well, actually, I was wanting you to grow up into the person that the future spouse you're waiting for is waiting for. Oh, you don't understand. I'm all good. I'm just waiting for all these little boy Larrys around here to grow up to be able to deserve all this. Okay, that's what I'm waiting for, Jesus. I don't think you understand. I got it all together. I'm just waiting for these guys to grow up and to one day be ready. And God's like, oh, actually, I was wanting you to grow up to be the one that you're waiting for is waiting for. I'm wanting to grow something in you in the meantime. Or God, I, I pray that you just give me some fruit, some gifts of the Spirit. I, I, I want to I walk in healing. I want to walk in prophecy. I want to walk in, in tongues, Lord, whatever that is. I, I pray you just give me those gifts of the Holy Spirit. And God's like, well, actually, I was wanting to work some fruit of the Spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I was kind of wanting to do that. Well, why, why would you want to do that? Well, so that your gifting doesn't take you further than your character can sustain you. Oh. Okay. 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 I, okay. I, guess, I guess I won't ask for anything. <laughs> Man. I didn't realize it was a big deal, right? Because if you allow God to work in you the change that you need rather than the change that you want, you will have change you can keep. Because God's change is always better than spare change. And so many times I feel like even in the, even in the, the kingdom of God, we just ask him for spare change. And he's like, ah, I want to give you so much more. I want to give you what you actually need. And the thing that we learn, even through this story, is that this man received what he needed, but it came at the disappointment of not getting what he asked for. Do you see that? He got what he needed, but it came at the disappointment of not getting what he asked for. I, I, I want to just, I just want to encourage you, though, that sometimes we're like, man, I just, I've been asking God for this, and he's not giving it to me. And then when we get the blessing of what we need, I guarantee you, he's not asking after he's jumping and, and dancing and doing all these things, could I have some more money, please? He's not trying to get more money. He's like, yeah, I don't even care about spare change. This is awesome. God gave me what I actually needed. And the thing that I thought that I needed, I thought that I wanted, is just falls off the wayside because God gave me more than I could ever hope or imagine or even ask for. Amen? And then verse 7 goes, and he says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So Peter says to this guy, beggar, asking for alms, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then he reaches out and takes him by the right hand. I want you just to imagine, put yourself in this guy's position. Imagine the fear and confusion 
in this moment because it doesn't say anything about like Peter getting down and explaining and counseling with him. Just so you know, um, my name's Peter and um, I'm going to be praying for you under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to, when I grab your hand, you're going to be healed and God's going to, God's going to restore you. And that's what we're going to be doing here in just a little bit. So just if you could prepare yourself. No, he just says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Huh? Excuse me? Here, let me help you. Uh, what? And I want you to see something. This guy in this moment had to exert something. But it wasn't physical. Because I don't know if you realize this, but if you've been lame since birth, you have no muscle tone. I'm not talking about a dad bod. I'm talking about like you can't get up. You even trying, even flexing muscles, you don't have them. So what did he have to exert? His faith. He had to exert something in that moment to say, I'm choosing to, I don't know what it is about this guy, but I'm choosing to believe that, that God's doing something in this moment. This guy has his hand out looking for a handout, and Peter reaches down with his hand out, giving him a hand up. And the guy in that moment has to make a decision. Peter can pull and the Holy Spirit can do the power, but I've got to put something into this. We see it, verse 8. He jumped. Catch this. Imagine this. He jumps. The guy's never, never even walked. He jumps to his feet, begins to walk, and then he went with him into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. There was something in what Peter spoke, the words that he spoke that caused this man not just to say, I don't know, I think he might be a holy man. I think I might believe him. No, he jumps and leaps towards him. All of a sudden, he is... He is Jumping, he's probably sashaying, right? I don't know what sashaying is, but I think that he probably did that. He's doing the hammer time, right? He's doing, he's doing all kinds of stuff he never could do before. He's always wanted to do the hammer. He never could do it. So he's doing that. He's praising Jesus, hallelujah. And I'll tell you what he didn't care about. He didn't care about what everybody else thought about him. He wasn't thinking, man, I bet those people are over there just thinking, my goodness, what's he all exuberant about? Is that the hammer time? Who does the hammer time in church? He wasn't, he wasn't looking at people thinking, oh, I bet they're wondering, a stinking charismatics. Why don't you sit down and worship like a normal person? He's just like, he's loving it. And he could care less about what it is that God, listen, when God moves in you, you can't help but move. You can't help but move. I'm telling you, even for some of you in worship, I mean, I know you come and you're like, oh, I'm not raising my hands in worship. I'm not going to do it. And God starts working in you in like three weeks and you're like, the world? Get that down. You're just like, what in the world's going on? All of a sudden, why? Because when God starts moving in you, you can't help but express it. I talk to people almost every single week. They're just like, they come after me after, after service. They're crying. They're like, I think I'm having an emotional breakdown. I know it's just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing something in you and it can't help but move you. And so sometimes it comes out in tears and sometimes it comes out in just joy. I, but God is moving and doing something in you. When he moves in you, you can't help but be moved. And the passion that you have is never wasted. In fact, God wants to use your passion to fill other people. It's not just so that you can kind of contain it for yourself. It's supposed to overflow. We see it in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him 
as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement in what had happened to him. Do you realize that your witness makes other people wonder? No witness, no wonder. Your witness makes other people wonder. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, I don't know why he was holding on to them. He just didn't want to let them go. Catch this. All the people, all, some, no, all, were astonished and came, like her, came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This is what I want you to see, because I love putting, our, putting us into the story. Imagine this. God ruined a perfectly good church service. Do you realize that? It says all the people were astonished. All of them left and ran outside of the church. It would be like if you just decided, oh, I'm going to pray for this guy. He needs prayer. And uh, everyone just leaves. Right? The band's playing. And it's the third song. So you know the Holy Spirit's showing up. You know, you're just going, yeah. And all of a sudden, everyone just starts leaving. And you're just like, what the world? What is going on out here? And the preacher's preaching, and he's, ah, I'm going to hell. And, oh, there's, you know, bounding like I do. And then, and then, and everyone just starts leaving. They're just, hey, dude, you got to see what's going on. I'm going to hell. And I'm all by myself with no one to preach to. I guarantee you, nobody's sitting in your favorite seat. Why? Because the church is empty. Everybody goes out to the gate to see what in the world is going on. Can I just tell you, it's time for the church to leave the building. <laughs> it's time for us to start focusing on the other 166 and a half hours in our week rather than the one and a half hours that we think are so holy. And realize that, that God likes to do things outside of the four walls of the church. Can I just tell you, if we had to pause, cancel church service because you just decided to go pray for somebody in the parking lot and we just started having church out there, somebody doing the hammer time out there in the parking lot. Can I just tell you, I'd be happy about that. I'd be happy about that. I'd say, okay, we'll save this for next week. Let's go check out what's going on. Let's see what God's doing. Because here's the reality. Just like I said, if the church would start asking the question in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of all the things that are going on, Peter and John were church leaders with 3,120 people in their church. Believe me, they're not just on their way to go to church. Well, it goes, what will happen? No, they're busy. They got a sermon they're rehearsing. They're going through all these things. And all of a sudden, God shows up and they're like, God, what is it that you're doing right now? What if in the midst of you going to soccer practice and all the things that are going on in your life and, and going to do a quote for a, for, a, for a business proposal that all of a sudden you just, God, what are you doing right now in this situation? Because I sense your presence right here. What are you doing right now? What would that look like? What would that look like? Peter, verse 12 I love the crowd gathers. Peter, again, takes the mic outside, and I love what he communicates in verse 12. He says, Peter saw this, and he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? It's what I titled the message today. Why does this surprise you? What if this extraordinary day was not necessarily supposed to be so extraordinary? What if living a life led by the Holy Spirit would lead you to do things that you know you can't do? 
I think that so many times, because we love our personality tests and our spiritual gift inventories, we think, okay, well, this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. And we define our ministry by what we can do. But what I find as I read through the book of Acts is that Jesus seems to define ministry by what we can't do. All of a sudden, he just, he just shows up. Honestly, church, I think that God loves to put you in over your head. And you're like, wow, well, I don't know. I think that he never gives us more than we can handle. No, I don't, I don't see that. In my life, he literally always puts me in the deep end. Why? Because I'm desperate for him in the deep end. Why? Because I'm not really good at swimming. Why? Because I know that in the end, when God moves and he does something, I can't take the credit for it. Because it's nothing that I can do. It's only things that, that he can do. And, and this is exactly what, what Peter says in verse 12. He says, you know, after he says, you know, why does it surprise you? He says, why are you staring at us? Look at me. Why are you staring at us? It's by, by our own power, or our own godliness that we made this man walk. Like, you really think I got magic hands? You really think that, like, because I'm so holy and because I've, I've got this special power that I'm brokering at this moment, that, like, there's something in me that that you don't have, that, that isn't available to you, please, I just followed the Holy Spirit, God. I just walk and I try to get to church. And this guy just is highlighted to me and I go and I pray for him and, and, then I, and then I pray for him in the name of Jesus. And I was so unsure. I just literally said in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I even added the Nazareth part because I was like, ah, just to make sure this only comes from Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not from Peter. Get up and walk and and then God does what, what he does as we walk in obedience to him. Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> I, I think that we learn more about being led and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit through this one little story than we find in, in many, many places. When we strip away all of the churchianity and the things that we consider holy with holy places and holy people doing holy things, and you just realize that these are just a couple of yahoos. And, and listen, um, we find out in Acts chapter 4 that the church grew to 5,000 people through this scenario. 5,000 people. <laughs> it grew. It grew because a, a couple Christians being led by the Holy Spirit, touching others under the power of the Holy Spirit on their way to church. Do you realize what we're told and how to grow the American church? Indirectly or directly, how to grow a church? Well, you need, you need a building. You need a bigger building. You need a better building. You need a program, these programs or better programs, different programs. You, you, need, you need fog, at least a light show. You need to water down the message so that it's easy and palatable for people. Or, or at the very least, you need a children's program, really kicking children's program, at least a better children's program than the church next door. That's how you grow the American church. And maybe we're all wrong. Maybe we got it wrong. Because it's not what we see here. I'm not saying those things don't help, but what if God intended to grow his church through you. Us? No. You, sir. And you, ma'am. What if God intended to grow his church through a few people just responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit in a holy moment 
and refusing to shut up about the passion that God has placed in them. And bringing hope into a workplace, into a lunchroom, into a marriage, into a problem, into a decision, into a hospital room. What if that was how Jesus decided, I want to grow my church this way? So we're going to end with a worship song. That's what I love. As, as we worship today, here's what I would love. If you would just ask Jesus, God, what is it that you're doing right now? Maybe even as I've been preaching, there's just been a person that you haven't talked to in a while that just keeps popping up in your head. And you just know that you know that you know that it's not you. But yet God's saying, like, I want you to contact them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to do something. God, what is it that you want me to do with what you're leading me to do? And I want to respond in obedience to that. And so, Lord, as we lift up your name today, I pray that you would speak to your people, realizing that the only way that we grow the church isn't through kick and revival services or awesome worship sets or entertaining messages or fog and light shows. We grow the kingdom of God through a kingdom movement, not a church movement. And so may we realize that the very kingdom of God is made up of men and women, children. God, that we're called to walk in obedience to you and to see you move. I pray that we have to cancel church next week because somebody gets healed in the parking lot. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you want to move on us, each and every single one of us, so you've called us in over our heads to do things that we can't do. Lord, we walk in obedience to it. Let's lift him up. Let's lift him up, church.